These stories have been so great to walk through, these greatest stories of all ever, that have ever been told. I, I hope that you found a lot of hope in them, because it's, um, it's cool to go into the details of each story and learn some things that maybe you hadn't thought of. You come, we're kind of familiar with these stories, but we don't know every detail, and so there's a lot of learning. But ultimately, we want you to see hope in every one of these stories. And most of the stories, the, the main place that I've found hope is in seeing all these heroes of the Old Testament and seeing that they all had weaknesses and they all failed and they all, they all had shortcomings and God used them anyway provides us a lot of hope. Because sometimes you look at these stories of Abraham and Moses and, and, and all these biblical heroes and you put them up on this pedestal and you think, wow, they were just amazing. And then you get into the details of the story. You know, Abraham, he had great faith, but sometimes he didn't. Sometimes his faith wavered. And Moses did all these amazing things, but at the very beginning, he was arguing with God. No, you picked the wrong guy. This is not the one that you want. Like all these stories, there's, there's these weaknesses that are exposed that we see that, and the hope comes in knowing that God used them anyway. That it was always God. He's the hero of every story, and he uses people in spite of their failures, in spite of their weaknesses, in spite of their shortcomings. And there's so much hope for every one of us that he uses us in spite of us because he's God. It's him that's doing the work. But Daniel's story is different. Daniel's story is just, it's really unique because you don't, in his whole story, you don't really see the weaknesses exposed. You don't see his shortcomings. You just see uh, Daniel as this really, really good guy who God used in amazing ways, and he just stayed true all the way through it. And Daniel's story gives us hope in a different way. It's like we need both sides of this. We need to see all these people that were flawed and imperfect and messed up, and God still used them. And then we need to see an example of what it's supposed to look like. We need to find the hope in the fact that you can, you and I can, live the life that God has called us to. It's not because of us. God's still the hero. He's still the one doing the work. But he uses Daniel, and he's, Daniel stays true to God, continues to follow God, doesn't compromise in any way. And you see, here's what God is calling us to, and it's possible because of God's help and his power in our lives. That there's hope for us when we fall because God will pick us back up and put us on the right path. But there's also this image that when, when you don't see the weaknesses highlighted, you know that they're there. You know that Daniel's not perfect. Daniel did mess up. Daniel did have shortcomings just like everybody else. But they're not highlighted because it seems like God's saying, here's the life that I want you to live. Here's, this can actually be done. We can live a life that's faithful like this. This is a picture for us of God's wonderful plan for our lives. Have you heard that phrase before? God loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life. It's a good phrase. I've taken it over my years leading IGO Global. It's the side ministry that I lead with students. I take students all the time and I'm like, hey, God loves you and I have a wonderful plan for your life. And here's what I'm, I'm trying to like rope them into something. And so I've kind of twisted it for my own benefit, but it's the saying that kind of gets thrown out there all the time. Hey, God loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life. And we can misconstrue construe that sometimes, but it's true. Here's the plan that God has for your life. Here's what it looks like, and Daniel is a picture for that. When you walk through the story, you're going to see these highlights of Daniel's character that are going to draw us and give us a challenge of what it looks like to follow God's plan for your life. So Daniel is this guy who has lived most of his life in the period of time in, in the history of God's people called the exile. 
the people of God continued to disobey God, and he told them he was going to punish them. He was going to raise up Babylon. They were going to come in and wipe them out and take them into captivity. And Daniel was probably a teenager. He's a young boy. At the time that that happened, Jerusalem fell to Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, and Daniel was taken as a captive with all these other people and uh, brought into exile in Babylon. But Nebuchadnezzar had this plan that he took some of the more promising youth, some of the more promising young, young people, and he gave them a chance to enroll in his school. And if they would do well in that school, they could be a leader in his kingdom. And so Daniel was selected, and he was enrolled in the school with the literature and the language of the Babylonians. They were taught the culture of the Babylonians. They were taught how to speak like a Babylonian, how to think like a Babylonian, probably how to you know, worship, all the different things in Babylonian culture. And everything about the school that Daniel went into was probably uh, pushing against uh, his view of God and his, the law that he had been taught to live by. And so Daniel's put in this pagan environment, this counter-cultural environment where everything's going against what he's always been taught to know, and he's given this opportunity. If you excel in the school, you can be a leader in the kingdom. Well, God granted Daniel favor in that school in amazing ways, gave him wisdom so that he stood out above all the other students, and because of that, he got promoted very quickly in the kingdom. And so in Babylon, Daniel became a leader, and he served faithfully uh, to the kings in Babylon. And when the Babylon eventually fell and turned into Persia during this whole 70-year exile period, and Daniel just stayed right in his place of service as a uh, loyal servant to the king of Persia, and he keeps getting promoted. It's the favor of God on his life. He stands out, his character, his loyalty, his honesty, all these things, it stands out, and he keeps getting promoted. And now, at this time, there's a king named Darius, and he's reigning, and he's got this organization for leadership. He's got all these leaders under him, and then he has three presidents that are over those leaders, and these three presidents report to him, and Daniel stands out. He's one of those three presidents. He stands out so much that the king's like, I'm going to make him the top guy. He's going to be number two in command of the entire kingdom. So Daniel has has served so well, and he's become so loyal and so trustworthy to the king, he's about to be next in charge under the king over everybody else. And there were some other guys in leadership that didn't like that at all. It's a political thing, and they wanted that power, and they wanted that position, and they didn't want Daniel to have it. In fact, they viewed him in, in a different light because they knew he was an exile. He knew he, that he's not a Babylonian. He's not a Persian. He's not one of us. He was, he was an outsider. He's a foreigner, and they don't want him to have that at all. And so these guys got together behind the scenes, and they're like, oh, no, what are we going to do? The king likes Daniel more than me and you. Oh, no, what are we going to do? we got to get him out of here. What can we do? I know we could, we could throw him in a dungeon. We could let him rot in jail. We could drag him to the ocean, have him eaten by a whale. We could throw him in the tigers, let him float a while, and we'll all sit back and watch him meet a hungry crocodile. Kind of got weird. We could put him on a camel's back, send him off to Ur with a cowboy hat without a brim, a boot without a spur. We could give him jelly donuts, take them all away, or fill his ears with cheese balls and his nostrils with sorbet. We could use him as a footstool or a table to play Scrabble on, then tie him up and beat him up and throw him out of Babylon. That's not in the Bible, that's Veggie Tales, just in case you want to. They're conspiring on the, like, we got to get him. We got to overthrow him. We got we to find something bad to say about Daniel and get him out of here. They don't want him to be in leadership. And so they conspire against him. And, and here's what happens. Um, they, uh, they try to dig up some dirt on Daniel. And they can't do it. 
a political figure. Been around a long time. At Daniel 6, he's probably 60, 70 years old. He's been around a long time, and they're trying to find one thing to say that would discredit him in the eyes of the king, and they can't find one thing to say. This is, you know they were trying. Their motivation is high. They, you know they're searching like crazy. Like they're going to all of his interactions with other people. They're going to his relationships, his coworkers. Anytime that he's dealt with you in a wrong way, anything that they, you know they opened up his laptop, looked at his browser history, everything. They're trying to find something to say bad about Daniel, and they can't. It's amazing if you think about it. And what it, what it points to me is, this, here's Daniel, it's his example God's wonderful plan for your life starts with faithfulness. God's wonderful plan for our lives is faithfulness. That's the characteristic that God wants to see in us, faithfulness. And here's Daniel as an example of what it looks like to live a faithful life. When these guys are trying to find something to say against him, they can't. They can't find a place where he's been dishonest. They can't find a place where he's treated somebody horribly. They can't find anything where he, maybe he did and he made it right, and so it doesn't matter anymore. Like They can't find one thing to say about Daniel because he's been so faithful. Man, it's, 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 it's such a huge challenge for us. This is, the, this is the life that God calls us to. We walked through Matthew a year and a half or so ago, and in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is constantly calling us to a higher view of righteousness. Everything that he says about how we follow God and how we follow the law, he was calling people to a higher view of that. Remember, he talks about, hey, I know the law says don't commit murder, but he says, if you've been angry with someone, then you've committed murder in your heart. So he's calling us to a higher level. It's not just whether you killed somebody or not. It's whether you drive on I-30 that matters, right? Because if you drive on I-30, you get angry. Well, it's kind of like murder. So Jesus is calling us to a higher view. Faithfulness is the plan that God has for your life. And the reality is you see Daniel and you see these guys are trying to find something bad to say about him. And you're like, whoa, that's not me. Because we don't want, we don't want anybody digging in our stuff. We don't want anybody trying to uncover some, some wrong interaction, something where we stepped out of bounds, because we all have done that. And that's why you remember there's hope in all these stories, because if there's been something where you messed up, there's been something where you failed, there's been a time when you walked away from God's plan for your life, he's always waiting for you to turn away from that and turn back to him, and he puts you right back in the game. It's always restoring us when we walk away from him because he's calling us to faithfulness. And faithfulness does not look like perfection. We kind of see a, a picture that looks like that here, but we know Daniel's not perfect. Faithfulness looks like, hey, I messed up, and I'm going to turn back to God because I know he forgives, he restores, he cleanses, and he puts me right back on the path that he wants me to be on. And so that's the faithfulness that he's calling us to. No matter what we have in our baggage, right, the, the problems that we have, we can, we can come clean with that. We can be honest with that. That's why we want to create a culture here at Crosspoint where you can come and you can be real and it's okay not to be okay because we want to see you restore. We want to see you turn away from that and turn back to God and see him restore you into the place that he wants you. And Daniel holds up this example. Here's what faithfulness looks like. And it, and, and it didn't just appear in Daniel chapter 6 for him. In Daniel chapter 1, when Daniel first gets taken captive and he's enrolled in the school, and they say, hey, do well in the school and you can be a leader in the kingdom. So it's kind of a cool opportunity for him. 
And the, the boys in the school were given food from the king's table and the same wine from the king's table. And they, they would get to feast on the same food the king is eating. And it says in Daniel chapter 1 that Daniel resolved or made up his mind not to defile himself by eating the food from the king's table. In Daniel chapter 1, in a culture that's pushing him away from God, Daniel makes a very, very clear decision right there as a young boy, I'm going to live by God's standard no matter what the world is doing. I'm going to live by God's standard no matter what everybody else is doing. I'm going to live by God's standard no matter what the culture says I should do. I'm going to live by God's standard even if it costs me this opportunity. And he decides not to eat the food. It's a crazy story because it doesn't tell us why he didn't eat the food. It just says he knew it would defile himself. So it may have been food that was offered to an idol and he knew that he couldn't eat that according to Old Testament law. Or it may have been food that was unclean that was also forbidden for a Jewish boy. And so he couldn't eat that. But we don't know. But God, God had told Daniel and he knew the standard. He had been brought up in the faith. He had been brought up in law. And he knew, I can't eat that food because it will set me in, at odds with God. It will be against God's law, and so I'm not going to eat the food. And that faithfulness there is where it began for Daniel. He was faithful with that small thing of the food at the table. And so in Daniel chapter 6, we see a whole life of faithfulness. Why? Because he's, he's been trying to follow and pursuing God and doing the things that he's supposed to do from the time he was young. That's just a wonderful picture. Because you know in that faithfulness, you know that Daniel has proved to be honest in all of his dealings. He's proved to be someone you could depend upon. Someone who's trustworthy. Someone who's loyal. Someone who probably loves other people and forgives other people. Like all the different things in that kingdom that would have been very difficult. God had enabled Daniel to be faithful. And that's his plan for our life, is faithfulness. And so these guys, they try to find something bad to say about him, and they can't. And so they come up with a different plan. I know. Daniel follows his God so faithfully that let's come up with something that will put the law of God against the law of the king. I mean, how great would that be? If somebody tries to find something bad to say about us, that the only thing they could say is, man, he just follows his God too much. And so they come up with this plan. And they go to the king, and they're like, hey, king, we got an idea for you. Why don't you set... Uh, send out a decree and make a law that for the next 30 days, everyone in your kingdom can only pray to you. And if they pray to anyone else, we throw them in the lion's den. And the king, like these kings in the Persia, man, they just, sounds good to me. They just pass laws all the time. Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. He doesn't even think about the fact that Daniel is not bringing that. His most trusted advisor is not in the group saying this is a good idea. He hears that, oh, everybody's going to have to pray to me. I'm going to be their provider. I'm going to be their helper. I'm going to be their deliverer. I'm going to be their rescuer. I'm their God. That sounds like a fun law to pass. And he passes this law. And in, the, in Persia, they had this law called the law according to the Medes and the Persians, and it could not be revoked. You saw that in Esther? And so he had to issue decrees to change it. And in Persia at this time, like they would issue a law, according to the law of Medes and Persians, it can't be revoked, which means you can't take it back. Really, you can't ever take anything back. We say that all the time. Like, I said that, but I take it back. No, you said it. It's gone. Like, but they had this law where you, set, you make a decree, you cannot take it back. And that's the kind of decree issues. Next 30 days, everybody prays to me. And so they've trapped Daniel. They, they've, they've caught him. Now, I want you to see this in verse 10 of chapter 6. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done 
previously. Wow. Don't miss this, y'all. When, when a crisis happens in our lives, it, draw, it drives us to our knees, doesn't it? Something happens, it spins out of control, you didn't expect it, pain, suffering, tribulation, and we go to pray. That's not what's happening here. This crisis isn't driving Daniel to his knees. He's going to pray three times a day like he always does. Because God's wonderful plan for Daniel's life, wonderful plan for our life is consistency. Just faithfulness fueled by consistency. Just, he's just doing the same thing he always does. That's why this is not even a decision for him. That's why there's no hesitation. He hears about the decree. Hey, if you pray to anybody but the king, you're going to get thrown in the lion's den. He's like, well, every day I pray to my God, and I'm not going to change that. It's, it's just faithful consistency. That's what he does every single day. It's three times a day. It's not a law. It's not a commandment in scripture. You have to pray three times a day. It's not like that at all. He's just doing that because he knows he needs God's help. That's the source of his faithfulness is that he prays, communicates with God, and asks him for help all the time. He does that all the time. He stops what he's doing in the middle of the day and goes and prays. And it, guys, it says here that when he went to pray, it says that he gave thanks before his God. What? He's about to get thrown into the lion's den. He knows this is a trap. He knows this has happened to get him. And he starts his prayer with thanksgiving, or at least he's, that's a big part of his prayer. How many of us, that's our, that's our prayer lives. It's characterized by thanksgiving. More, more, more times than I would admit, my prayer life is characterized by my list of needs. I need help here. I need you to do this. I need this. I need this. It's almost like it's complaining, but when you're praying, it's not really called complaining, right? Just presenting your request. It's kind of like when you're sharing prayer requests, it's not gossip, right? So it's just, I'm just going to share what I need. But I, man, how much different would our prayer lives be if we started with thanksgiving? God, thank you for all the things you've done. Name your blessing, count them. Like, what has God done? And it will inform how we approach him with our requests when we start with thanksgiving because then we start to see all the times that he has answered prayers, all the things he's done already, all the ways he's provided. In the crisis, Daniel doesn't have to change anything. He just goes and prays like he always does and he goes with thanksgiving in his heart because God has been so good to Daniel all this time. He's not, he's not sweating it at all. And it's such, it's such a big thing here. To not pray to a king I mean, to not do that form of idolatry that would be a huge compromise. And the risk on the other side of it is tremendous. A lion's den. Death. And Daniel is able to be consistent and faithful even in this situation. And I think it's because of that Daniel 1 story. I mean, Daniel 1, it's just food. Daniel, stop making a big deal about it. It's just a little food. Nothing's going to hurt you. Just eat the food. Keep your head down. Like maybe God will prosper you here. Daniel decided right then, Daniel 1, no, I'm not going to compromise even in the little things. Guys, the little things is how God prepares us for the big things. When, when we're faithful in the little things, it builds our strength, it builds our faith, and that's how God prepares us to do, for the, do those big things. But here we are, we want to do big things for God, and we ignore the small things all the time. That's just a little bit of, everybody does that. No, no big deal, no harm, no foul. All these different things that we compromise all the time, and those are the things that God says they really, really matter because they prepare you for the big things that he has for you. 
And Daniel's faithfulness started with a little thing like food. And so when it's a big thing like praying to a king and maybe getting thrown in the lion's den, he doesn't hesitate. He has a consistent pattern in his life of faithfulness because God has been with him and continued to strengthen him because he prays all the time and talks to God all the time. Our faithfulness, our consistency, it's just, I mean, it's the little things that matter. Showing up on Sundays together with God's people, making this a part of your routine and schedule. It's a little faithful thing. Opening your Bible and reading God's word, praying to God. I mean, three times a day Daniel prays, and I'm trying to work in one in my busy schedule because I think I can do some things better on my own. It's these faithful little steps of obedience all the time that God has for us that prepares us for the, the big thing. That's what he's looking for is consistency like that. You showing up and serving here and not getting credit, not, not being in the spotlight all the time, that's the consistency that honors God. That's the wonderful plan he has for your life. Those are the heroes he's really looking for, faithful, consistent plotters. There's a guy named Kevin DeYoung is a pastor and an author, and he wrote a blog post one time called The Glory of Plotting. And I want to read you this quote from it because it speaks so well to the situation. He says, what we need are fewer revolutionaries and a few more plotting visionaries. That's my dream for the church, a multitude of faithful, risk-taking plotters. The best churches are full of gospel-saturated people holding tenaciously to a vision of godly obedience and God's glory and pursuing that godliness and glory with relentless, often unnoticed, plotting consistency. That's what it looks like. This is God's wonderful plan for our lives, for him to fuel us to be faithful and, and for that to be consistent in our lives, so people see that. Daniel's story is so great because Daniel's serving in a pagan kingdom where everything's anti-God, but he stands out in that kingdom because of the way he follows God, because of that faithfulness and consistency, because of God's power in his life. He stands out. He's honest. He's trustworthy. He's loyal. And I love that because what we need in our day-to-day, in our culture today that's so much like Babylon and so much like Persia, what we really, really need today is people who are faithfully following God, trusting in God. He's empowering them, and they walk into every field in the world, and they earn the right to speak for God there. Think about that. We need a generation who will go become medical doctors and maybe even politicians. And uh, Can you really say that? Like maybe they would do that. They would walk into every field, science, economics, whatever field, and they would live for God in the midst of a culture that may be pointing the other way and earn the right to speak for God in those fields. That's what Daniel does. He's just earning the right because of God's faithfulness to him and because of his faithfulness to follow he's earning the right to speak for God his his faithfulness and consistency stands out man we need a generation like that he's not afraid to do that whether it's a education schools whatever we need a generation that will stand up in their consistency God's wonderful plan for our lives includes faithfulness and includes consistency and I think the other thing that you see in the story is that it includes steadfastness which may not be exactly what you think of when you think of God's wonderful plan for your life because steadfastness means perseverance. It means staying true and steady in the storm. And the reality is that the Bible says that there are going to be a lot of storms, even for those of us that follow Jesus. That Daniel was faithful, no question about it. He was consistent, no question about it. 
And because of that, God kept promoting him, and he kept getting more leadership. But in the end, his faithfulness and consistency put him in a lion's den. It put him in a den with hungry lions, and everybody assumed he was going to die. And faithfulness and consistency, sometimes that's the reward of it. Why? Because God wants us to learn how to be steadfast. God wants us to be people that persevere. And, and we all want to be those people, but we don't want to have to persevere through anything. God puts us in situations and trials and tribulations come so that he can teach us how to persevere and teach us how to be steadfast so he can empower us to do that because it's not us, it's him. That's why in James it says, hey, consider it all joy when you have trials and tribulations. Why? Because God is producing in you steadfastness and you really need that. So Daniel's in the lion's den. Daniel gets put in the lion's den, and his faith perseveres in the lion's den. In fact, the king even notices it. In verse 16, the king commanded, and Daniel's brought and cast into the den of lions, and the king declared to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. When, when, the, when the guys came back and they said, hey, you said that, right? Remember you said that? That you, you said everybody has to pray to you? And he's like, yeah, I said that. And they're like, and it's Medes and Persians, right? You can't take it back? He's like, can't take it back. And they're like, Daniel's praying to his God, and the king's like, oh, no. And then he spends the whole day trying to find a loophole. But Medes and Persians don't have loopholes. And so there is none. And at the end of the day, they're like, I think you said he had to go to the lion's den. So he puts him in the lion's den. And in that moment, the king realized, I told everybody pray to me, to look to me, to come to me. I can't even save my friend. And so he puts him in the lion's den. He says, may your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. And then the king goes back to his palace. He doesn't sleep at all. He's so distressed about what happened. He's so trapped in the situation. He can't believe he's done this to his most trusted advisor, and he doesn't sleep at all. And at daybreak, at the break of dawn the next day, he gets up, he runs to the lion's den. They, they put a stone in front of it and sealed it with his signet the night before so that nobody could mess with it. Nobody could rescue Daniel. It was all official. And he runs to the lion's den. There's a stone there and he's calling out, well, hoping against hope. Daniel, has your God, the one you serve continually, has he been able to rescue you from the lions? And you know, he's holding his breath because he thinks nobody gets rescued from the lions. And then Daniel's voice comes out of the lion's den. Oh, king, live forever. My God sent an angel into this den last night, and he shut the mouths of the lions. I'm not even, no scratches, no hairs harmed. Like, I'm fine. God rescued me. Daniel says, God, I was found blameless or innocent in God's sight, and so he protected me and delivered me from the lions. And the king was so happy, he rolled the stone out of the way. And he brought Daniel out, and he took all the guys that tried to trap Daniel, and he took them and their families, and he threw them in the lion's den. Just in case you thought the lion, something was wrong with them, before they got to the bottom of the lion's den, it says that they devoured them and broke all their bones. Because this is a kid's story. <laughs> Great reversal once again. Daniel's faithfulness and his consistency led him into a lion's den, and in that he showed a steadfastness. And that steadfastness is just as much a part of God's plan for our lives as the faithfulness, as the consistency in the little things. Here's how a commentator said it in the Reform Expository Commentary on Daniel. I don't know how to pronounce his name. I think maybe do good, that would be right. So 
that God is not committed to our comfort. What? I'll read it again. God's not committed to our comfort. He's not committed to making our path through life smooth. He is committed to sanctifying us and demonstrating his own glory in and through us. And very often that commitment means he will subject our earthen vessels to pressures that would certainly shatter us were his grace not sufficient for us. Lord will take you into the eye of the storm to show you that he's the storm's master and that he can make your fragile vessel float safely through to the other side. His wonderful plan for your life is to sanctify you through trials and tribulations. That's God's plan for our life, that he will sustain us and show that his grace really is sufficient in the midst of whatever storm. That we would, people would see our faithfulness and they would see our consistency, but people really, really pay attention when they see our steadfastness. When we go through a really difficult thing and we come out and our faith is still in God because of his sustaining power in our lives, that's when they really pay attention. That's when they want to know the hope that we have. Always be ready to give hope, give a reason for the hope that we have. Well, it's got to be kind of weird. Like people got to go, why? Why does that person have hope? Why? What's the reason for that? Oh, well, it's not me, it's God. And in all this story and all this plan that we see for our lives in Daniel, it's that reminder at the end, Daniel's not the hero. God's the hero of the story. <laughs> you know what happens next? The king's so overjoyed with this, and he just realized, hey, I told everybody pray to me, and I couldn't help my friend, but Daniel's God did. And so he sends a decree to all of his kingdom. I want you to see this in verse 26. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For God is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall be to the end. He delivers. He rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. The pagan king who told everybody, pray to me, I'm your God, tells people, I'm not your God. Daniel's God is God. Pray to him. He's the one who rescues. He saved Daniel from the lion's den. Everybody needs to know this. God is glorified in the story. And that's why we know that he's the hero, because the God who shut the mouths of the lions could also blind the people trying to get him so they wouldn't have seen Daniel praying. He could have delivered him in a hundred different ways, but he let him go through the lion's den because God is showing how great he is in this story because he's getting the glory. One of the ways that we can say this is that God's plan is to bless us in order to show his glory and his greatness. His plan is to bless us. If you ever spend a night in the lion's den because you're falsely accused and they don't eat you, put it at the top of your blessing list. <laughs> That's a pretty big one. But that blessing wasn't really just about Daniel. It was good for Daniel, but that blessing was so that God could then be glorified by a pagan king in a pagan kingdom. And God blesses his people so that we can share that blessing and show that blessing and show how great God is to the rest of the world. Jesus said it this way, Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and what? Give glory to your Father who is in heaven. As God works in our lives to make us faithful and consistent and steadfast, so people would see that and they wouldn't think that we're great, they would think our God is great, that he would be glorified in that. That's the goal of this. That's why he's the hero. And because he's the hero, it points us to the, the real hero, 
All these stories in the Old Testament point us to Jesus, just shadows, whispers of, hey, there's one coming that's going to be better than all these, that Jesus is the true and better Daniel. As good as Daniel is, he's no Jesus. Because Daniel, when they put him in that lion's den den, and they rolled that stone over there, everybody assumed he was dead. But God saved him. He didn't die. Jesus went to the cross and took our place on the cross, and he died. It, it, It was finished. And they took his dead body, lifeless body, off of that cross, and they laid him in a borrowed tomb, and they rolled a stone in front of it to seal it. Daniel said, King, don't worry about it. God found me blameless. He he knows I haven't done anything wrong here. Jesus was perfect. He was righteous. He fulfilled the law perfectly. And when he died taking our sin on him to the cross, God accepted his sacrifice because of his righteousness. And because of that, God raised him back as the conqueror of sin and the conqueror of death. And when Jesus comes out of the tomb, he doesn't come out just saving himself. He comes out and offers salvation to the world. That you and I, when we place our faith in Jesus, that God declares his death on the cross good enough for us to cover our sins. So he declares us not guilty because of what Jesus did. That we can, like Daniel, say, yeah, God found me blameless. I'm not blameless. God found me righteous. I'm not righteous. God found me innocent. I'm not innocent. But Jesus was, and he gave it to me. And so we get to be with him forever. We get to be with him and his family in heaven forever because of what Jesus did, not because of what we did. And because of what Jesus did, we know that he can make us faithful. Because of what Jesus did, we know that he can give us consistency. And because of what Jesus did, we know that through any trial, any storm, he can make us steadfast. Let's, let's be the people that give glory to him by how we follow him. Even when we fail, we get back up and we're restored and we continue to follow him because of who he is and what he's done. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for these stories. Thank you for the truth of how they show us your greatness. They continually point us to you as the ultimate hero that we needed. And God, I, I pray that the, the story of Daniel will, will challenge us. That we would desire to be more faithful and more consistent and more steadfast. But it will also remind us that we can't without your help. But ultimately, it will remind us that because of what you did, Jesus, that you've made a path for us. A path back to you where we could not make a way on our own and a path to follow you with faithfulness and consistency and steadfastness. And God, I pray that you would help us to do that for your glory and because of your power, and it would be, man, so much joy for us. It's in the name of our Savior, Jesus, we pray. Amen.